John 15, 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that the joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Lord God, we thank you for the service. We thank you for the ways that your Holy Spirit has already moved and spoken to us through the worship and uh, just hearing from Clint and Art around worship and scripture. Lord, we just thank you for, uh, again, this time. And we pray now that as we meditate on your word, that you would open our ears to hear what you have for us today. We would open our eyes to see what you have for us and open our minds and hearts to uh, your teaching for us. Lord God, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned earlier, we're on week four of this four-chair uh, series. And I have to say, Clint, I'm, I'm glad that you prefer singing, or not necessarily singing, but being up here uh, and not speaking, <laughs> because I would much rather speak uh, than, than be up here playing music or singing. So uh, that's good. <laughs> uh, God uses all of us. Um, so we're on, on week four, and um, as I said earlier, you know, each one of these chairs, they represent kind of where, where you might be sitting with God. Uh, so chair one is the seeker. That's someone who is uh, shown by this challenge. All of these challenges are words of Jesus that he spoke to uh, people that approached him or, or people that eventually were his disciples. So challenge one, uh, chair one is from John. Chapter 1, verse 39, and it's Jesus calling uh, for people to come and see. Call to come and see what Jesus is doing. Chair 2 is the believer. Uh, that challenge is from John 1, verse 43. The call to follow me. So first, we are called to come and see. And as we see and as we get to learn and know Jesus, then we're eventually called to follow him. Chair 3 is the worker. Chair 3 is from Matthew Chapter 4, verse 19, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. I will cause you to fish people. So not only are they following Jesus now, they're working uh, for the kingdom. They're working alongside him. And chair 4 is called the disciple maker. Uh, we'll focus on it today, and this is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 16. Go and bear fruit. So these are people who are active in the disciple-making process. This is, this is the goal. Uh, as Jesus was making disciples, he wasn't just making them to, to 
come and see or, or even to follow and then kind of leaving them there. Uh, as, as we walk through the Gospels, we know that Jesus is on a timeline, that there's only uh, some three and a half years that he's walking with his disciples before uh, he, he goes to Jerusalem and goes to the cross. Uh, so he needs to get them uh, in some ways. He needs to get them from chair one to chair four in three and a half years. Or this whole movement that God is doing, this whole thing will stall out uh, after the resurrection. It'll stall out if he doesn't have these disciples that are, that are disciples who are passionate about making disciples. And that has continued in every generation. The only reason that any of us are here, the only reason that I'm here, the only reason that you are uh, sitting at home, even listening to a church service, is because there's been so many chair four disciples uh, all throughout history. People who have dedicated their lives and said, uh, this will not be the last generation that knows about Jesus, but I will be a disciple who makes disciples. I will be a disciple that reaches out to others and, and then uh, other people will take that mantle also and they'll run uh, with the torch. I think of uh, the beginning of the Olympic Games when you see the athletes running with the torch and, and they do it and they, they like to televise it. It's kind of, kind of fun to watch and they normally travel a great distance, uh, but if any one of them decided to just put out the torch and set it down, any generation decided to just put out the torch, they're just going to max out, they're going to be chair two disciples. Everyone in the whole generation. Uh, or or there's, they're just going to be chair one, they're, they're called to come and see, but they're not even going to follow him. Um, we wouldn't have this Christianity. We wouldn't have this faith. So we are standing on the shoulders so to speak, of not only the gospel writers, but also uh, disciples that have come before us, that have shared uh, what following Christ has meant to them. I say that as an encouragement, that, that as we kind of talk about uh, what it means to be in chair four, this is not some unobtainable goal that is so crazy and so lofty and so far away. Uh, it is a goal that people have, have become, people have uh, become passionate about teaching others about who Jesus is. So let's focus on our scripture today. Uh, as read for you earlier, John chapter 15. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and start in verse 12. Again, John 15, verse 12. My command is this, the words of Jesus. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has for greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Jesus goes on, You are my friends if you do what I commanded. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his father's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. I find this passage encouraging, and in some ways inside of me, it feels a little strange to say that we're friends of Jesus. I know there's that song that's like, you call me friend, but, but there's some part in it that I, that I hear it, and, and I think, ah, you're not taking God seriously enough, you know, is, is this too light, is this too, uh, oh yeah, God, you're my friend. Well, sometimes I'm not a good friend to my friends, so, so what does that mean in my relationship with God? But uh, as we get to this chair four position, uh, you can enter into this relationship because 
you're working alongside each other. Because you're not in the servant status behind Jesus, working uh, to further the gospel. The Holy Spirit's working in you and, and you're uh, doing your part. And this friendship uh, language, I think, does become pretty appropriate. Uh, this kind of partnering with God language, working alongside God, helping others and bringing them into this new kingdom reality, pointing others to Jesus. Uh, now, this is kind of the core of what we call discipleship. It's very interesting. Uh, I was doing some research this week, and, and often in churches, including ours, we often draw kind of a firm line between evangelism, meaning getting people from chair one to chair two. Uh, are they a believer yet, or are they not a believer, and, and how do we do that? And discipleship, and that's uh, often how we kind of think in this model of moving from two to three to, to chair four. But that distinction is actually historically pretty recent. Only in the last, uh, let's say, a couple hundred years has that distinction been made between what we typically call evangelism and what we typically call discipleship. And it's very interesting because we look even at denominations and churches and we'll put a lot of focus. Some churches will say, oh, we're, we're all about evangelism. That's what we are. And Scripture doesn't really draw a firm line there. Or they'll say, we're, we're a church that, yeah, we care about evangelism, but like, we, we want to grow in our faith. We want to have uh, Bible studies and learn more and grow deeper and serve together. And, and we're just more about discipleship, really, as a church. Um, but biblically speaking, these are, these are the same thing. It comes from the same words. And this is, uh, this is all about relationship uh, with Jesus. I just find it very fascinating that we tend to draw lines uh, in ways that we can say, well, I'm just more passionate about evangelism, helping people go from chair one to two. And, and as far as, like, once they're there, then, I don't know, that can be someone else's passion. And, and sure, God can equip us and can encourage us in different ways uh, on how to serve. Um, but we are called to be churches of, of this entire process. Uh, not just one or the other. Discipleship is this interesting thing, and, and especially when we talk about the, the chair for the disciple maker, uh, this is somebody who is coming alongside other people, and uh, I think that an image I want to describe to you that uh, is often used to describe the situation is, picture in your head a gigantic rock, uh, and it's covered in moss, and it's, it's large, and there's two rock climbers that have approached it. One of them, maybe being a little bit faster, has now, has now climbed the rock, and they are now standing on top of the rock. And the other one is struggling to get up. And we often view discipleship as kind of this process of, of the person who is on top, the person who has arrived, the person who is standing firm on the rock, is now reaching down and, and giving a hand to the other person who's struggling. They're helping them uh, obtain their goal of getting on top of the rock. So again, somebody who has arrived, somebody who is firmly planted on the rock is now helping to pull someone else up. I would say that's a pretty typical view uh, of evangelism in, in a lot of churches. It's not wrong, um, but this idea that somebody uh, who has accomplished much then turns around and doesn't just kind of stand in it by themselves and say, hey, I made it to the top of the rock, uh, but they turn around and help someone else, uh, that's very good, but I do want to paint for you uh, a different picture. 
different image that I'm going to be going more into today. And this image is the image of a race. And it's not just, uh, not just a race for the sake of a race, but it's a group of, of people who have decided to run a race together. A group of friends that have decided they're going to uh, sign up for whatever it is, the local 5K or something, and they're going to they're gonna do the race together, and they're going to accomplish this goal as a group. So what do they do? They set out and they train together. They prepare together for the race. The goal is that when race day comes, that they will be able to accomplish this goal alongside each other. Now, it's also important to notice that one member of the team cannot do all the, the training for everyone else. One member of the team cannot say, how about I do all the training? How about I go out and I, I run you know, several times a week and I build my endurance and I get ready, and then I'll do that for everyone. And then how about we all just show up on race day <laughs> and start to run? It's not going to work out, right? And uh, what, what I think is interesting about a lot of these groups uh, is that normally there's some kind of leader that you typically see, somebody that kind of rises up, that maybe has been there before. Maybe, maybe there's somebody who is passionate about running. Uh, and they're kind of the one who has, who has gathered this group that says, let's run this, this race together. And the leader is normally... Uh, a little better prepared. The leader is more aware of what their race will require. Uh, they've been there before. Maybe they've spent more of their life running or training. But on race day, does the leader take off on their own, trying to get their own personal best? Uh, the answer would be no. Not, not if they're actually a good leader. They're a good leader, they will stay with the people and they will run the people. They'll stick together as a group and they will lead from among everyone else. To me, this stands out differently than the, the image of somebody had already arrived, standing on the rock and now pulling up someone else. Uh, there's, there's something different going on here. The leader is able to help set the pace, uh, but they stay with the group. And, and if we're honest, it's often hard on this person, this chair for person who is leading, it's hard because if they could just run on their own, they, it would, the race would be easier. <laughs> they, they would have longer strides. They would be able to actually take less steps by the end of the race. So there's a sacrifice here of running with the group. But the goal is, uh, of course, to set out as a group and to run this race. The point from the very beginning is to run it together. I think this is a more beautiful image of what discipleship, what we're called to be. Uh, sometimes we want to be, or there's this temptation to be kind of these lone ranger Christians that, that just accomplish great things, uh, and then maybe everyone else can, can look and be encouraged by, by your accomplishments alone, and they can be like, wow, I want to I chase after what so-and-so is like. <laughs> look at what they've done. Uh, and then maybe if they're really kind, they'll turn around and they'll kind of help you get there. But there's something entirely different to think about this group that is running and, and there's someone who's kind of a natural leader that has emerged. A natural leader is somebody who uh, is able to talk about what race day will be like in an open and honest way. If they downplay it, if they say, oh, by the time you get to, let's, let's up it from a 5K. Let's say they're doing a marathon together. And they say, by the time you get to the marathon, it's not going to be a big deal. Don't worry about it. You won't need to run very hard. It's going to take like an hour. 
be fine. Uh, and then you show up, uh, you're all going to struggle together. So it's somebody who uh, speaks truth, but speaks truth and encouragement, truth along the way. I may have fooled you, uh, but I don't run races. <laughs> I live with someone who does. <laughs> uh, my wife Susan loves to run. Uh, I will run. I'm capable of it. Uh, my, body, my body will allow me to run. Uh, if I were to a chase by a grizzly bear, uh, I would run. Uh, I often joke being into, uh, I, I like tennis, I like other sports that, and I'm kind of like a golden retriever in a lot of, like I'll chase a tennis ball. I'll chase a tennis ball all day until I'm completely worn out. Uh, but I don't just want to run for fun. Every once in a while, I mean every once, I don't like every five years, uh, Susan convinces me to go running with her. And it's a nice couples thing, right? Uh, so I go, and I told her I was going to talk about this in the sermon, and she said, the last time we ran together, I feel a little bit like a hypocrite. <laughs> way back in the day, way back in yesteryear, uh, I went for a run with my wife. And the same thing happens every time. I start off too fast. I'm, I'm, I'm about a foot taller than her. My stride is longer. I start off too fast for the first half mile. Uh, let's, let's just say that. I'll, I'll give myself half a mile. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm keeping up the pace. I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, and, and I'm actually uh, she's trying to like, keep up with me. She's got her pace. She knows what she needs to do. She's run uh, marathons before. Uh, and I have not. So the first half mile, I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, and then... I start to uh, slow down a little bit, get a little winded. Uh, by the end, let's, let's say we're a solid mile in by now. Uh, I'm dragging pretty good. Uh, she's giving me encouragement. She's helping me all along. Uh, after all, this is just her warm-up where she does her real run. Uh, so we're making a nice loop back to the house. Uh, but, but sometimes we need those people alongside of us in these, in these races to give to give the word of encouragement, to tell you to keep going, tell you that you're doing a good job, uh, that it's going well. Uh, sometimes she kind of steps aside and helps, helps me teach, uh, teaches me a different technique on, on how I apparently have been running wrong since I was an infant. Uh, and there's more effective ways for me to propel my body forward. Uh, after the race, after, after our time together, she may give encouragement or advice about how it could be different next time. Uh, and, and these are all great things because it's, it's together, right? Uh, and this is actually a lot like this chair for disciple-making Christian. There's different roles that, that they're able to live into the lives of the people that are around them. And some of us have been more equipped in certain roles and less equipped in others, and that's okay because we don't need to be all things. Uh, to everyone around us, but I'm just going to name some of the roles. Uh, and I do see in Scripture, I see Jesus fulfilling each one of these. The first one I will call the catalyst. Uh, a catalyst is, is someone who brings change uh, in someone else. This is an agent of change, an agent of transformation. Uh, somehow this disciple in their words, in their actions, in their very presence, uh, in the people around them, uh, they... Kind of draw this reaction out of people. 
somehow they turn people towards Jesus uh, in their life. So we all need these disciple makers that are these catalyst kind of leaders that, uh, you know, this doesn't need to be uh, a catalyst from the front of the sanctuary. Uh, this can be somebody who is in the cubicle next to you at work, but just somehow uh, in their words, in their actions, in the ways that they don't live into the ugliness of your work community. Somehow in all these ways, their very presence uh, brings about a reaction or a change uh, inside of others. The second one I would call the teacher. Teachers at their very basic core pass along information uh, from one person to another one. But in order to do that, a teacher needs to understand their students. Good teachers understand uh, well the person they're talking to. They understand uh, the student that, that they're trying to teach so much so that they're able to pass along uh, whatever information they have, uh, whatever the curriculum is, uh, they're able to pass along in a really effective manner. So we need uh, cheer for disciples who are this kind of teacher mentality. The third one I will call the coach. And the difference I'm making between the teacher and the coach is that the coach uh, I picture as a little more like on-the-job training kind of person. They're, they're not just, uh, you're not in the classroom, they're not just teaching you things. They're kind of working alongside you as, as you're work, doing your faith, whether it's uh, simple things like reading scripture or volunteering uh, with children. Uh, the coach is the person who's there. They're, they're still leading, they're still uh, being a, a mentor kind of figure, uh, but they're doing it, uh, yeah, again, more a little more hands-on uh, kind of thing. I, I was an, an actual coach uh, in, in Illinois. Uh, I was a tennis coach at the, the local high school. I mentioned how I like to chase tennis balls. Um, I was a tennis coach there. I worked with freshmen and sophomores. And the thing about tennis in high school is most people had never played before at all. So people would show up their freshman year and they've joined tennis and I'm really excited to have them. Uh, and, and they bought their racket at, at Walmart and it's still like in the cellophane. They're wrapped up and they've showed up for the first day of practice which means they have not even gone out with a friend uh, before showing up to practice. Uh, and, and they didn't even know that the tennis balls come in a pressurized container so the first time you open it and like tss, opens up which every tennis player loves. Uh, they're like fascinated by this idea that the tennis balls are pressurized. It's just kind of fun to see this very beginning uh, learner stage. Uh, but one year, as a coach, uh, I had decided in the winter I needed to get in better shape. I started playing basketball at the local YMCA uh, kind of gym, and then I went on a winter camp retreat with teenagers from church. And I played this fun game called broomball which you all need to try. <laughs> Broomball is, is a little bit like hockey, but you're on boots. Uh, you're not on skates. You're wearing boots. And you have what they call a broom, which is a, a stick, and it's got kind of a plastic uh, wedge on it. And then what you're hitting around is like a little hard soccer ball. And you put it into a goal, and it's just like any other game. So I'm at this winter camp, and they decided, hey, we're going to have all the youth pastors play against an all-star team of teenagers. To start off, get everyone excited, right? Terrible idea. This is the upper Midwest, so most of this all-star team are hockey players. Uh, so they know what they're doing. Uh, I do not necessarily know what I'm doing, 
but I'm a fairly large person, so like, I, I can kind of handle it. I get the concept of the sport. Uh, I'm about three quarters of the way through the game, and I mentioned I'm on boots, right? <laughs> and we're on a frozen lake, so it's just straight up ice with boots on. And, and I go up, and I center the ball uh, towards somebody who makes a shot. I don't remember if he made it or not, but an overzealous teenager from another church uh, comes up and tries to get the ball for me right at the last second and loses his footing. And he falls, uh, and he slides, and he takes my feet out from under me, and I land hard on the ice, and that, that hurt by itself. Uh, but I also landed right here on his boots. His boots were sideways because he fell right on the sole of his boot. And I was pretty sure I hurt something. Uh, I finished the game, if you're worried. You're worried if your pastor's competitive or not. Uh, I finished the game. We lost. Uh, next game, I took it really easy. I played one more game. <laughs> Bad idea. Later on, we're doing like Bible study, and, and I'm sitting on the floor, uh, and we're sitting in a circle, and I go to get up afterwards, and I kind of push down on the ground. And then I know I hurt something. Uh, because all of a sudden, I'm, I'm getting stabbed in the side and a lot of pain. I know exactly where it was. Um, and long story short, I, I broke a rib uh, the long way. Not fun. I don't suggest it. Hopefully none of you have. I'm sure some of you have. Uh, not fun. Can't heal well. What's also hard is it's about four weeks before the tennis season starts. And it's on my right side, and I'm right-handed. Now I have an entire tennis season with these players who are brand new. They, they, I mean, they've still got the cellophane on the racket. And I have to coach in a way that's entirely different because I'm used to so much hands-on, like, oh, how do you serve? Do this. You know, like, uh, but I can't even swing a racket. I can't, like, feed balls or anything. Um, I don't remember why I told you all that. Anyway, yeah, coaching. <laughs> Coaching, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, there's this hands-on process that if we're, if we're not able to do it, uh, it really limits us. So it's this idea of, of as someone in chair four that you're coming alongside people. Hopefully it's not in a way that you're injured uh, <laughs> and you're able to, to kind of hands-on show them because they learn so much better um, in other years than, than those players were able to learn that year. Um, the next... Uh, Category, I guess, of, of what this chair for, for person can be is the advisor. The advisor is someone who offers feedback and advice to specific events uh, in our lives. The coach is more hands-on in the moment. Uh, I think of the advisor as being more uh, a later conversation over a cup of coffee kind of role. Uh, we all need these people around us, and we can be these people others. Uh, particularly in their walk of faith. The last one I'll call the mentor. The mentor is someone who, uh, they're, not, they're not in there doing it anymore. They fully handed over the reins. So maybe they uh, used to be in charge of the children's ministry way back in the day, and, and they've handed the reins off, and, but they're still there as, as kind of a, a cheerleader. They're still cheering. They're not, they're not standing back critiquing. They're standing back uh, loving what's happening and encouraging, uh, offering feedback, but um, but in a way that they're again the reins have been handed over. They're they're more uh, off to the side, and the, these can become conversations less about uh, specific events 
think of that more with the, the advisor, that it's, you know, this, this thing happened, what should I have done, what could I have done, a kind of event. I think of the mentor as more of a kind of the principles. How do we, how do we to continue with children's ministry, how do we love young people well? How do we show them the gospel? How do we live it out in front of them, kind of these overarching principles? And I do see Jesus as functioning in each one of these roles. Scripture, I could go through it uh, all, but I see him doing these roles in the lives of his disciples as they move along this process. And sometimes I think that, uh, that we feel like maybe we need to be all those somebody. That might not be what God's calling us to do. Uh, maybe you're in a certain role. But I would encourage you that uh, if you're thinking of even in your own life and you're like, wow, I don't have any of those roles filled by someone else. I'm, I'm kind of doing this alone, and I don't, I don't have a coach. I don't have a mentor. I don't have an advisor. I don't have a teacher that has come alongside me that, that you'd be looking for those. And as I mentioned, one of those, if you think, wow, that feels like the gifting God has given me. Like, like the teaching side, no thank you. But the coaching side, like, yeah, I, I could understand that, or I could wrap my head around that, or, or, or maybe, uh, yeah, going, going over it after a cup of coffee, you know, <laughs> sitting together and kind of discussing uh, what was happening, uh, I, I could do that. Then I would encourage you to also be looking for people that you can invest in. Be looking for people that can help grow. I'll end with this. Here's where I think this becomes tricky. Because if you're anything like me, uh, you love checking things off a to-do I don't as much as some people. I know that my wife Susan loves it even more than I do. But there is some satisfaction when you have a to-do list and you're able to check it off. But walking with someone as a disciple maker is not one of those things. And it can get challenging in that because we're not just called to kind of accomplish something here. We're called to love people walk alongside people. We're called to love people in a way that, uh, as this scripture says, that they're to lay down our lives. Walk alongside people. I want to pray for you. I'm willing to be vulnerable with you and have open and honest conversations about struggles in my own life and where I am now. I want to support you and I want to lift you up. I want to do whatever I can to serve you and to help you. Do whatever I can if it means that you grow closer to Jesus. This is not easy because what it requires of us is love. It requires love for the other person. I think of uh, my own self and walking with a teenager once going through kind of this, this book kind of lesson curriculum thing. It was a discipleship. Uh, and it was going well. And every once in a while, I, I like to tell you stories where I'm not the hero. Uh, warning, I'm not the hero in this story. Uh, uh, and we're walking alongside it, and, and this, uh, what, what we're talking about brings up something in their own life. And they start sharing uh, about their own journey. And I'm... Quite honestly, I'm half listening. 
Because somewhere in my head, I'm worried about if we're going to get to question, you know, 3B on the list or if we're going to run out of time. That's, that's not what discipleship is. Discipleship is not worried about, am I going to get to all the questions? Am I going to be able to accomplish this thing? Are we going to get this done in this amount of time? Discipleship is walking, uh, loving people, not fooling ourselves into thinking that it's more about material or more about lessons or more about uh, accomplishing X, Y, and Z than it is about the relationship. It's, it's being able to pause, being able to reflect, refocus, and realize that it's not about the next question. It's not about accomplishing some kind of thing. It's more about the relation. And that's what I love about the scripture today. And I'll just read, I'll read it for you again as we close. Words of Jesus. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends. You do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned. My Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you may ask, my name the Father will give you. For this is my command, love, 